0: Hi everybody, it's Alex, and I'm so excited to share with you what's happened. We found a place where we can have weekly church services. We've been waiting a long time for this. You've been patient, we've been praying, and I just want to celebrate what God is doing. Our plan right now is to start weekly services April 1st on Easter. We're so excited for the launch of Horizon Community Church's weekly services. We'd love for you to join us, start inviting your friends, and we'll have more information about this new location soon. Thank you. Remember that old game show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And the title was... Uh, is such a rhetorical question, right? Because we all want to be a millionaire. No one came on the show and was like, wow, I'd really like to lose. I don't want to be a millionaire. Everybody wanted to be a millionaire. If I asked you, do you want to be rich? Raise your hand if you want to be rich. Everyone watching this is probably going to raise their hand. But the Bible warns us that wanting to be rich is actually the sign of a deeper spiritual heart problem and it's actually a dangerous and unhealthy place to be. I don't have to tell you that many times getting rich actually complicates or worsens your life. We could run over a history of lotto winners and quickly see how many of their relationships fall apart, how many of their families fall apart, how many times they wish they almost hadn't won the lottery at all. The Bible warns us in 1 Timothy that wanting to be rich is desperately dangerous one of the most misquoted verses in the bible is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil it's often misquoted as money is the root of all kinds of evil and we're going to be talking about this verse in its context today now the apostle paul here was writing to timothy who was a young man that he ministered and Timothy was overseeing churches in the region of Macedonia, Macedonia uh, in the Middle East, kind of Asia area. And here's what he says in 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 3. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, it's a trap and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I want to break this down a little bit, and then we'll get into the end section here about money. Paul starts out, though, in this section, warning Timothy against false teachers he says there will be people who use the guise of church or christianity to teach something that is not true because they have ulterior motives and he gives us several identifying factors of a false teacher he says their teaching will disagree with the teachings of jesus their teaching will uh will not encourage people to live righteous lives And third, their leaders tend to be conceited and not open to being corrected. And then number four, they'll be obsessed with unimportant details and minuscule debates. And number five, they'll see the ministry and the church as a way to get money From people and so when I speak as I lead the church or when other leaders of the church or people online or uh, on television speak we have to look at these things because Paul gave these as a warning to us against how to identify a false teacher when people stand up and say the Bible says does what they say align with Jesus if it doesn't they're wrong and if they stand up and they talk In a way that doesn't encourage people to live righteous lives paul says they're a false teacher if they tend to be really arrogant and conceited and no one can ever tell them that when they're wrong he says probably a false teacher Uh, if they're obsessed with just these little arguments or these little discussions over these small minute details that don't actually affect our lives paul says watch out might be a false teacher and finally, if they are just obsessed with using the church and using people's spiritual interests to get money, Paul says that's a clear sign of a false teacher. Now, this passage was written 2,000 years ago, but it's still extremely relevant today. Uh, you know, this isn't a first century church problem where we look at it and we say, how could we apply this today? It's still right now, it's still a right now problem. We can apply it in everyday life. We have people on TV and radio writing books and attracting crowds, uh, leading churches, starting churches, who sometimes teach things contrary to what Jesus said. We have people many times teaching and preaching things uh, all the time, ignoring the destructive things in our life that we recognize are harming us. They just don't talk about those things and they fixate On something else and many times we like that because they're saying things that make us feel good and they're not saying anything that makes us feel bad and sometimes like when we go on a diet or we go to the gym we need a little bit of a pain so that we can get better Um, many times we have prideful people men and women who have built huge platforms for themselves to relish in the spotlight we do a weird thing in America where we love celebrities we love Christian celebrities. We love pagan celebrities. It doesn't matter. We just love when people are famous. And many times we're drawn to people's fame and we ignore their message. People that build their entire message or ministry on the subjective interpretation of a single passage, um, these are people that Paul says, they're fixated on debates and details and they're missing the bigger picture and the bigger message. And so. We still have people today who are taking advantage of spiritually hungry people uh, by teaching less than the truth or sometimes just straight out false teaching. And so he goes on here and he begins to talk about contentment as he moves from false teaching, people obsessed with just using the church to make money, into this idea of contentment, and then he's going to talk about money. And contentment's a weird word, right? We say we're content Uh, But many times we're only content for a limited window of time, right? I'll eat a big meal and I'll say, "Ah, I'm full. I am content. But I'm only content many times for a limited window before I'm hungry again. So what does it mean to be content? Um, Paul says that we need uh, that contentment with uh, that getting contentment is great gain. God's always more interested in producing change in us than he is in giving us things. He, he doesn't just want to get us more stuff, he wants to change who we are from the inside out. And so many times we don't ask for things like contentment or joy or peace, we ask for things like a new job, something tangible you know, that we can put our hands on. Uh, but he's more interested in what happens inside of us, what changes that change who we become. Now, if God gives us anything other than contentment, we'll always need more. If he gives us food, we'll need more food the next day. If he gives us clothing, our clothing will wear out and we'll have to buy new ones. Contentment is the only thing that if we get it, we have everything that we need. If God gives us contentment, we have everything we will ever need. Riches will never satisfy because we'll always want more. You know, you might look at the next income bracket and say, man, I wish I made that much. But once you get there, you'll look at the next one after that. That's human nature. But contentment satisfies because it is always enough. Now, sometimes I think the way people talk about contentment, they almost describe it as apathy. Contentment and apathy are two different things. Apathy is I don't care about anything, so I'm going to do nothing. Contentment, on the other hand, um, doesn't mean you can't be ambitious. But contentment allows you to have ambition with the right motivation. Contentment keeps your joy and your identity away from the goal. You find joy and identity in something outside of a goal so that when you reach that goal or you miss that goal, your self, your view of self and your uh, sense of peace isn't lost. See, when we attach joy and when we attach identity to a goal, we're willing to sacrifice people to reach it. But contentment where we are doesn't keep us from being ambitious about going farther, but it helps us to go that distance with the right mentality, not sacrificing people along the way. See, when we are content, we're willing to sacrifice our goals to protect people. But when we wrap up our identity into our goals, we begin to sacrifice people in order to chase our goals. In verses seven through eight, he talks about how we can't take anything with us. We came into this world with nothing and we'll leave without anything. What we want reveals a lot about our spiritual life. What you desire, what you dream about, what you hope for, what you long to hold in your hands tells me a lot about your spiritual life. As we encounter Jesus, he begins to change these desires of our heart so that they, so our desires align with Jesus's desires. If your desires don't align with Jesus's it tells me that you don't encounter him very often or maybe you've never had an encounter with him at all so what is Jesus desire as we talk about this idea of we came into this world with nothing we're gonna leave without anything there's only one thing you can take with you and that's people people are the only thing that are going to transition from this world into the next If you invest in relationships, in conversations, in sharing with people the good news of Jesus Christ, that's something eternal. That's something lasting. And that's what Jesus' desire is as well. He wants to see people in the next world. You won't take your money. You know, the old pastor story used to be there was this man who was very rich, and he had a bag full of gold, and he loved his gold so much that when he died— he said lord jesus please let me just take this bag of gold with me i just love this so much and so he got up to heaven and they said hey you you're a believer in jesus christ welcome to heaven and so he walks in and some people asked him what do you got there what do you got and he goes it's my bag of precious gold coins and they go oh that's just pavement up here and uh you know it had no value and it's a little bit of a cheesy funny story but the thing is, you can't bring anything. And even if you did, it would have no value. It would have no point because you will be living in contentment. The only thing that matters in the next life is people. And so, if we focus on loving and reaching and serving people now, that's something that's eternal and that's something that will transfer into the next life. It's the only thing that we can take with us relationships. So verse 9 he Paul warns here that uh, wanting to be rich is a trap. It's a trap. Now we don't usually think about wanting to be rich like this. He didn't say being rich was a trap. He said wanting to be rich, desiring riches was a trap. He warns that it's a spiritual trap that the enemy uses to distract and destroy the church. The American North American church is one of the richest churches Uh, across the world or across history and the danger is that once we get too attached to riches we get trapped and by being trapped we're distracted from our mission the enemy of god and the enemy of us wants us to focus on our careers and our jobs and ignore the people all around us and the American dream, many times, is in direct conflict with Jesus' dream for your life and for my life. And the enemy, he, he's going to trap us by snaring us with this desire to be rich. Now, if you knew that I came into your house and filled your whole house with bear traps, first of all, that would be crazy, but let's just go with me here for a minute. Let's say I filled your whole house with bear traps. Would you get up in the middle of the night and walk to the bathroom in the dark, or would you turn on a light? Obviously, to be smart, you'd turn on a light. If you knew your house was filled with bear traps, you'd take some precautions against stepping in a bear trap. Paul is warning us here. He says, the enemy uses the desire to be rich as a spiritual trap, so be on guard. Expect it. Take steps to prepare and resist it. See, many times we think money's going to solve all our problems, but money doesn't deliver us from problems. People with money have problems. People without money have problems. But money does distract us from our dependency on God. And so take preventative measures against loving money by loving people well. See, if you love people well, you won't love money. If you love money, you won't love people well. Well, giving protects our heart against greed and allows us to enjoy what God has already given us. And then Paul makes this really strong statement here in verse 10. He says, the reality is that riches have led some people to leave Christianity and abandon the faith. He says, there are some people who said that they were followers of Jesus Christ who now aren't following him at all because of their love and pursuit of money. So Paul here is telling us this is not a light matter. This is not a small thing. This is a big deal. This is costing some people their faith. This is costing them their focus. This is costing them their whole life. He says it is leading some people to abandon Christianity because they'd rather be rich than Christian. And he says ultimately that it leads to grief. He says that if you chase this road of pursuing riches, you will be surrounded by grief you'll simply hate life you'll suffer stress and anxiety and despair see paul warns that loving money is the root of many types of evil lots of bad things will happen because when you make loving money your chief pursuit you're willing to do anything to get it we're going to start to do destructive things with our thoughts and with our words and ultimately with our deeds, when we make pursuing and desiring and having money our chief pursuit. So how do you know if you love money? You're like, okay, Alex, money isn't the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of many types of evil. So how do I know if I love it? Like, I like to have it, it helps me pay my bills, it helps me feed my family, is that wrong? Like, how do I recognize the difference between I'm using money correctly and I'm loving money? Um, you remember Scrooge McDuck from DuckTales, and it had this super catchy intro song, and um, Scrooge McDuck had this vault full of money, and it was gold coins, and he would go in there and he'd swim through his money like this, you know, and he'd jump up like he was swimming through water, but it was his gold coins, and he would like rub it on his skin. It makes me kind of think of Gollum from Lord of the Rings, if you've seen that, and he's got the ring, and he's like, my precious, you know, we often think that's what it looks like to love Money, or like, I'm not like that, so I'm okay. I don't even have a room full of money. Maybe if it was pennies, I could fill up a bucket, you know? Um, But many times the love of money is much more subtle in how it rears its head in our life. Usually it doesn't look like us swimming through a vault full of gold coins, but our love of money is often revealed in our interactions with people. Remember I said you can either love people well or love money well. And those usually don't um you can't have both and so if you're loving people well it's going to affect your how you use your money if you're loving money it's going to affect how you uh, react and interact with people see we're supposed to love people and use money but many times we use people because we love money look at your interaction with people look at how you use people Or if people, you see people as merely an ends to a goal, you probably are more in love with money than you are with people. See, what we love, we end up sacrificing for. And if we love the wrong thing, we'll end up sacrificing the wrong things. If you love money, you'll begin to sacrifice people in pursuit of your goal. And the result of a misplaced love, investing love in the wrong thing or in the wrong people is always grief because it will cost you more than you expected. It will cost you everything that you ultimately realized really mattered. You know, in the old fairy tales, if you fell asleep or you fell in love with a dragon's hoard of treasure, you would turn into a dragon yourself. And the fairy tales seem to be telling us that dragons were simply people who had become so obsessed with treasure that they became monsters. And that's similar to what Paul is saying here. He says, if you become obsessed with money, obsessed with riches, you become a monster. If you love the wrong thing in life, it will keep you from being everything who you really are and everything you were made to be. It'll make you into something lesser, something meaner, something um, primordial, a monster. The more we feed a destructive love, like a love of money, the more we think we need, to, uh, we need it to live. And so it becomes this self-fulfilling, destructive prophecy where the more we love something destructive, the more we think we need that thing, that that thing defines us, and so we just feed it more and more and more, and we become less and less and less of who we really are. A healthy love will always make us less selfish and more selfless. But a destructive love, like the love of money, will always make us more selfish, selfish and increasingly have our world and our universe and our life center around us so as we wrap up you say okay alex what do i do number one we need to identify do you love money do you love money and here's just a simple some simple questions to ask yourself what do i dream about do you dream about the huge house the big car having the expensive things do you dream about having a certain amount of money in the bank are those your dreams our dreams reveal the desires of our heart and the desires of our heart tend to reveal what our passions are, where our love lies. The second thing you need to question you need to think about when you ask, do I love money is is it easy to give away? Is it easy to give away money? So when you give to the church, when you give to charity, when you give to someone in need, when you leave that tip, is that an easy thing to do? Is being generous easy? If it's not, it's a sign that your heart really is holding on to that money because you have a love of money. And third, does your identity revolve around money? Think about the ways that you identify yourself, the things that you feel like make you you. Are they about having a certain brand, about having a certain appearance? Is it about reflecting a certain um, image of yourself into the world that revolves around money? Many times these are subtle ways Of showing that you love money so number two after you identify if you love money repent of loving the wrong things and repentance in the bible means more than saying i'm sorry and just keep doing it remember we've all been kids where our parents are like say you're sorry and you're like i'm sorry and then you just go back to punching your brother or sister again you know like nothing happened there's no change repentance means making a spiritual u-turn So you've been pursuing this and now you're going to turn in the opposite direction and pursue something else. And one of the ways you have to make that U-turn is it's hard, it's painful, and that usually involves a hard, painful decision that you have to make. And when it comes to the love of money, that means give until it hurts and then give a little bit more. That's part of breaking open that hard casing you put around your heart so that it can feel again. So then we move to the third thing, start loving the right things. So many times we we make this prescription for change in a church, but we never talk about what you should be doing instead. So stop loving money, give until it hurts so that you can make that U-turn and change in the opposite direction, and then start loving the right thing. And the right thing to love is people. Think about this this week. How can I bless, how can I strengthen or empower three people this week? If you make loving people your focus, you will not love money. But if you do not make intentionally loving people your focus, you will naturally love money. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this challenge to our hearts and our lives. You long for us to love people like you love people. You long for us to be like you. You don't love money. You don't need it. You recognize that you have full access and power to everything and as a good father we have full access to you who has everything and lord i pray that we will focus not on what we can obtain and what we can achieve but instead on who we can love who we can serve who we can reach and i pray this all like i believe jesus would amen Thanks so much for watching our online service today. Here's what's happening at Horizon in the next few weeks. If you'd like to give to Horizon Community Church, you can do so online at horizonphilly.com backslash give or at our next live service. Our next live service is March 4th at 10am at the Ardmore Music Hall. We're starting a new series on practical Christianity. And we'd love for you to join us. We're planning to start weekly Sunday services on Easter 1st at 5 p.m. Start inviting your friends and family to join us in our new space. We're planning to help host a community Easter egg hunt in late March. You can start saving plastic eggs now. From all of us at Horizon, we hope your week is full of grace and peace.